is everybody in Portico Milton today? Good, good. I heard lots of different responses. I hope they were all positive. Because it kind of up here just sounded like, yeah, watermelon, watermelon. Okay, Uh, I will mention to you, uh, because I know that we just uh, sort of finalized dates this week for the youth trip to Ireland. So if anybody is interested in that, it is the week starting, I think, Saturday, July the 23rd, running up into the first part of August. And so uh, that's been finalized just so all of you are aware. It's great to be back in Portico Milton and uh, to be able to be the substitute teacher today. Uh, Please don't throw things at me. That's what we used to do to our substitute teachers. Um, But please, you know, try to refrain. Pastor Rick has been uh, called back to the main campus for disciplinary action. No, I'm kidding. Uh, He's actually speaking there today. So uh, we like every once in a while to get him up in front of uh, of the home crowd so that he can talk to people who are... Uh, you know, from Milton, but who are driving all the way in there and who could probably come and be a part of this campus. So it's just great for him to have that exposure. So that's what's happening with him today. We are in the last day. This is the last day of our Tough Questions series. And uh, I hope that you have been enjoying as much as I have the dialogue and the information that we've been delving into over these past number of weeks. And we've looked at all kinds of questions that are asked about the church and about Christians in general. And I know that it sparked some great discussion, both uh, sort of individual conversations and dialogue and discussion in our growth groups. As, and so I trust that, that somehow you feel a little bit better prepared now to address some of these questions whenever they might arise. Things like, you know, should I trust, why should I trust the church? You know, how come there's so many hypocrites in the church and all those kinds of things that we've been talking about? Suffering and, and uh, hell and, and why would, you know, why would God, why is God so angry? All these things that we've been discussing together. And our question for this morning, we have one last question we want to deal with today, but this question is not a question that skeptics are asking about Christianity and the church so much, but it's one that we need now to ask ourselves. And that is this question, where do we go from here? Uh, One person before the service thought that uh, the topic today was hell. With the question being, where do we go from here? I hope that that's not the topic today, because that's not where we want to go from here. But, But we're talking about this question, so now what? Now that we have all of this information, now that that we've got some answers to these questions, how do we sort of move forward from here? How do we we answer uh, questions and and do the things that that we want to do and and impact the lives of skeptics and seekers alike with, with the truth of the gospel? So we're going to get you to take out your Bibles. We're turning to Acts chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible, I know that our ushers would be happy to help you with that. If you'd like to borrow a Bible for the morning, you can slip your hand up and one of our ushers will, uh, will bring one to you. Just kind of keep it up. Nobody? Okay, it looks like we're good. And uh, also take out your sermon notes now so that you can follow along and fill in the blanks. And uh, we will give you those We'll give you those answers as we sort of walk through this together. If you're on a smart device, uh, if you haven't downloaded our Portico app already, we give you permission to do that right now. And the sermon notes electronically are in the Portico app under this week. And so uh, you can follow along in any one of those ways. And we try to uh, help you as much as we can uh, being able to do that. Turn to Acts chapter 17. 
And I'm going to just ask you to keep your Bibles open there. There's a story, and I'm not going to read the whole story. I've got too many other things to say, but we'll walk through the story together. And so if you have your Bibles open, you'll be able to refer back to, uh, to what it is that we're covering. And the Apostle Paul here in Acts 17 has experienced some intimidation from a group of jealous and angry Jews in Thessalonica who then followed him to a place called Berea to stir up trouble there. And so in order for Paul to get away from all of that, a group of of the believers have, have spirited Paul away to the Greek city of Athens, leaving his friends Timothy and Silas behind with the intention that Timothy and Silas are going to join him later. And so here's how one author describes the ancient city of Athens. He said, No city of Greece or of the ancient world was so much distinguished for philosophy, learning, and the arts. The most celebrated warriors, poets, statesmen, and philosophers were either born or they flourished there. The most celebrated models of architecture and statuary were there, and for ages it held its preeminence in civilization, arts, and arms. How many of you have been to the city of Athens in Greece? Anybody been there? Nobody. I haven't been there yet either. I love to travel. Uh, my wife and I both love to travel and wish, we wish we could do it more. Uh, we're having a little trouble financing our travel addiction. But uh, part of my love for travel has to do with visiting new cities. I love I love getting off the plane and getting on a train and going into the heart of, you know, a couple years ago it was into the heart of Paris for the very first time and just just looking and, and thinking about all of the possibilities that are in front of us as we sort of explore. And, and you just, you're trying to decide, what do I do first? You know, there's, there's so many things to do. Now think about this. Today we have the luxury of the internet and being able to Google what we want to know and what we need to see right down to being able to pinpoint a specific address and see it actually from the sky. Or if you like, you can go to street view. Isn't this amazing? I mean, I, we, were, we just went to Cuba in uh, January, and before we even went to the resort, I had seen it from the sky. It was this, just this unbelievable thing. And so this is what we have today. Paul did not have this kind of, this kind of information. He didn't have the luxury. He wasn't so prepared. And so he was simply dropped off in the city of Athens and left to explore while he waited for Timothy and Silas to join him. And so through, through Paul's exploration of the city of Athens, through this story today, um, we, we want to just look at and learn a simple strategy that will enable and empower us to help people find their way back to God. That's what we're all about as, as Christians, as believers, and uh, you know, as, as people who are part of Portico through our life and witness, wherever we find ourselves. How do we do this? And we're going to look at Paul's, Paul's uh, little adventure here in Athens to get some ideas as to how we can start. The first thing that we learn, if you're filling in the blanks here from Paul's Athens adventure, is that we need to recognize the pervasive influence of culture. We need to recognize the pervasive influence of culture. It says in verse 16, if you have your Bibles open there, that while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Now, many of the ancient Greek writers confirm the fact that the city of Athens was home to countless numbers of idols. One wrote this, he wrote, the Athenians greatly surpassed others in their zeal for religion. Somebody else said, on every side there are altars, victims, temples, and festivals. 
And, and the writer Petronius kind of humorously says this. He says, it was easier to find a God than a man there. This was also Paul's experience, okay? He's, he's wandering the streets of the city, and he found it to, to be quite literally full of idols. And this bothered him. It, it caused him agitation. It caused him great anxiety and distress. Why do you think that is? You know, why did he feel this way? Well, I think he felt this way because of his, his Christian worldview. As a believer in Jesus Christ, one who had been called by Jesus, uh, you know, called by Jesus himself, as a matter of fact, Jesus knocked him off his donkey on the way to, to uh, Damascus, right? On the road to Damascus and, and spoke directly to Paul and said, this is what I want you to do. And so as, as Paul is having that experience and he's being asked by Jesus to, to tell the Gentiles the good news of the gospel, Paul understood that the task in Athens would be this huge task, this immense task because of the intense grip of idol worship that was so prevalent there. I'm sure that Paul was impressed by the architecture. You know, when I go to to some of these places, I I wish, you know, that I always felt as passionately as Paul did about, you know, all these lost people around me. But sometimes we get so enamored with the architecture and with with the, you know, all the things that we're seeing with the the scenery and, and the different things, the art and so on, the culture. And Paul is, is feeling differently though. As a Christian, that's not what he's focusing on. What upset him, what gripped his heart, what caused him this, this distress and anxiety was the pervasive influence of the idol worship culture that was so evident and that obviously reflected the condition of people's hearts. And of course, their need to, to know the story of Jesus. Now, I was thinking about this the last few weeks. And, and always we're, we're sort of exposed to this. But the last few weeks, we've been witness on our televisions to some major events that, have, that, that impact our culture in North America. And I'm just going to put a few pictures on the screen, kind of one at a time. We'll, we'll add a different one. But, but go ahead and just shout out uh, what or who they are, and then we'll go on to the next one. Anybody recognize this photo? Sam Hunt and Carrie Underwood. What was the event? Grammys. Yeah, just last week, Monday, I think. Right? Okay, what's the next one? Who's that? Kobe Bryant, the All-Star game. This is his last year in the NBA. This is the last time he'll be an All-Star. It was a big deal, and it was also a big deal because it was in... Yeah, it was huge. Okay, what, what about the next one? Okay, Peyton Manning, the Denver Broncos. Woohoo! I was going for them. I always go for the underdog. I always do. I don't know why. Uh, what's the next one? <laughs> Who's that? I don't know. Yeah, that's Donald Trump, and you better get ready to see his face because I don't know what's happening down there, but he just won another primary in South Carolina, and uh, Jeb Bush has now dropped out of the race. He's got some momentum. And uh, so, so we recognize all of this stuff. We, we seem to know about these recent events. Why do we know this? Well, we know because we're, we're bombarded through our media with the news and events of our culture. And, and none of us are immune to the powerful pull of celebrity and to some level of, of engagement in, in this whole idea of sort of fan worship. Now, I'm not, you know, calling any of you idol worshipers, please, but the pervasive influence of culture, it impacts us. Uh, there, is this, there is this ugly side, though, to celebrity that we, that we sometimes don't think about, 
We don't want to think about it, right? There's this, there's this ugly side to the fan worship culture that we sometimes choose to ignore. And those pictures are not meant to cast judgment on any one person or even a profession. As a matter of fact, Carrie Underwood and Peyton Manning are, are professing Christians. The, the point is that these celebrity industries are fraught with, with a lot of sinful sort of dark side, and it can become too easy to be a fan without realizing that the pervasive influence of culture is clearly tainting sport and celebrity and politics and so many other things around us. Listen to the lyrics in our mainstream music. Read the accounts of, of sports celebrities who have been charged with sexual assault and drug abuse and all sorts of other sordid things. Look at the divorce rate and the party culture in in Hollywood and the fact that during Super Bowl weekend in San Francisco, an estimated 10,000 prostitutes were imported into the San Francisco Bay Area, many of, if not most of them, victims of human trafficking, okay? And think about the many political scandals and and backroom deals that you have heard and read about in, in past years. Now, no judgment here, okay? I'm not anyone's judge. God can take care of that. All of this said, though, we can sometimes wear the rose-colored glasses of an enamored fan without recognizing that there is a pervasive influence that emanates from our culture and, and that we can potentially miss if we're not careful. As, as people who have a, a Christian worldview, as people who know who Jesus is, we need to be people that recognize the influence and who are agents of change in our world, as well as those who are being transformed from the inside out, not those who simply blend in and just seem like everyone else. Now, I know this is a little bit of an uncomfortable conversation. It was a little bit uncomfortable for me to write because we all find ourselves in this kind of mentality sometimes. But the Apostle Paul wrote the church in Rome precisely about this issue in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. And here's what he said. He said, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. And those are, those are pretty poignant words, aren't they? Don't become so well adjusted to your culture, to what's going on in the world around you, that you fit into it without even thinking. He says, instead, fix your attention on God. And if you do that, you'll be changed from the inside out. And so I think we have to ask ourselves, you know, what's, what is our worldview? Have we succumbed to the pervasive influence of culture so that we view those around us as just, you know, other people, just another person, but not as someone who God loves and wants to be in his family? Have we gotten so you know, numb that we've been lulled into thinking and acting just like everyone else and, you know, so that we become politically correct and afraid to offend rather than having a desire to tell people the truth about Jesus and what he's done for us and what he can do for them? We really need to guard against this pervasive influence of our culture. We need to develop, we need to nurture a Christian worldview that understands the fact that God wants for everyone to be a part of his family. And there is a better way to live than just following the lead of culture. Paul said this about our our whole idea of our our worldview or our perspective. He He said that when we follow Christ, we no longer look at people the same way. We look at them differently. He says that from now on, we, we no longer regard anyone from a worldly point of view. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He basically says that, that Jesus died for everyone and that God's plan is to reconcile everyone to himself through his son, Jesus. 
Reconcile just means to fix the broken relationship, to to bring us back into right relationship with God. So as people who believe in this kind of worldview, we have a mission, don't we? Helping people, there you go, helping people find their way back to God, helping them to be reconciled to God. And so we we need to recognize this this pervasive influence of our culture and, and guard against this. And then secondly, we need to identify opportunities Identify opportunities to tell the story of Jesus. On his arrival in Athens, Paul did what he normally did, as was his custom, it says. He went into the synagogues. On the Sabbath, we presume, that was the day that people gathered at the synagogue. And he reasoned with the Jews who were there from the scriptures. This was, this was also what he had done earlier in the chapter. If you look back uh, you know, at the first part of the chapter in Thessalonica and Berea, he had gone to the synagogue, he had gone to talk and reason with the Jews there. But he then identified another opportunity to talk about Jesus. In the marketplace, from day to day, it says. In Athens during that time, the marketplace was more than just a place where products were bought and sold. It was also a forum. It was a, a place of great uh, public concourse and, and debate where philosophers were, were often found engaged in public discussion of their ideas. And Paul took advantage of this. And each day, it says, he went and he reasoned in the marketplace with both the Jews and the Greeks who happened to be there. One day, while debating with a group of, of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers about the good news of Jesus and about his resurrection from the dead, they, they brought him then to a meeting of the Oropagus, and they asked him to explain this strange teaching to them. They were intrigued. They wanted to hear his ideas because they were always interested in talking about and listening to the latest ideas, the Bible says. The Oropagus was located at a place called Mars Hill, pretty much in the, in the center of the city. And it was the place where, where the celebrated supreme judges of Athens, they were, they were famous for this, where they assembled. They were called the Oropagites, if that's important to you. It was considered by many to, to be the most celebrated tribunal in the world at that time. And its decisions were distinguished for their justice and their correctness. And essentially, it was the highest court in the land. Having said that, you know, it wouldn't seem like, you know, Paul was on any kind of trial here. There was a polite request that was involved. They said, you know, may we know, may we know what this new teaching is? And so he was just give, being given an opportunity to defend his position, his, his teaching about Jesus before the many who would have been assembled there. And so Paul saw his opportunity and he went for it. In Acts 17, 22 and 23, if you have your Bibles open, it says, He then stood up in the meeting of the Oropagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And Paul used an object and a concept that was familiar to all of them, the altar to the unknown God, and he then began to leverage this as an opportunity to tell them about the one true God and about his son, Jesus. We need to identify opportunities to tell the story of Jesus. The challenge to all of us who are believers in and followers of Jesus is to identify those same kinds of opportunities to tell the Jesus story. We, we have to learn how to share our faith and to weave the Jesus story in within the context of our own stories because there are people all around us 
who need to hear the good news about Jesus. Jesus challenged the disciples. And I believe in these words, he also challenges us in in John chapter 4 and verse 35, when he said, as you look around right now, wouldn't you say that in about four months, it will be time to harvest? They were walking by some, you know, some fields of grain and the fields had turned that color that they turn, you know, the, that sort of golden white color when they're ready to be harvested. Well, I'm telling you, he says, open your eyes and take a good look at what's right in front of you. These Samaritan fields are ripe. It's harvest time. And he wasn't talking about wheat. He was talking about people, people who were ready to hear and to receive the the message of the truth of, of his gospel, his story. The time is not someday that people will need the message of Jesus. The time is now. And the opportunities, I believe, are right in front of us. Now I know, I know that it isn't always easy, and that's why we need to be proactive and to, to look for and identify opportunities. That's why we need to be you know, ready with, with an answer, with some of the information we've been talking about over these last number of weeks. But, but we need to, instead of you know, doing what we often do and, and looking for excuses, we need to be ready, ready to, to share and ready to, to, to take advantage of the opportunities that are in front of us. You know, we, we think sometimes like this. We say things like, you know what? Nobody's interested in, in what I have to say. Or, or we say, I don't want to offend them. They, they already have their own religion. I remember having this conversation with my, with my daughter when she was really young, I think grade six or seven. She had a really good friend who was, who was Muslim. And, and uh, I made the mistake one day of saying, hey, have you ever invited and I said her name, you know, to, uh, to youth group. And she said, oh, dad, she said, I, I couldn't do that. She has her own religion. You know, she, she goes to mosque and she, and I thought, okay, uh, okay, well, but it's just, you know, it was a fun night. It was something that goes, was going on, but we, we tend to be that way, don't we? We don't want to offend. And then, you know, I, I had the honest conversation with myself. Well, what would, how would I feel if she invited my daughter to, you know, to mosque? Ooh, that one might be t- tough for me, right? But, but there's, this, there's this tension always when we're, when we're thinking about sharing our faith. And sometimes we take the position that, that people are closed to any ideas about faith or God or Christianity instead of you know, trying to think about what are ways, what are opportunities where, where we can introduce Jesus into our conversations. So here's some recent Canadian statistics. Reginald Bibby, who is a, a Canadian researcher, says that across Canada, 62% of Canadians are receptive to a greater involvement in religious groups. That number jumps to 65% if you just look at the province of Ontario, okay? Now, further to that, there's a study of, of younger unchurched Canadians. And this study was done by uh, Ed Stetzer, 2013. He's part of a, a group called Lifeway Research. And Ed Stetzer found when he researched people who don't go to church, younger people. So in, in this sort of 20 to 35, 40 demographic, okay? He asked them a lot of questions and here's some of the statistics that he came up with. 89% said that if someone wanted to tell me what she or he believed about Christianity, I would be willing to listen. 89%. Here's a few other stats from that same survey. They're not on the screen, but if you want to jot them in your notes, Uh, here they are. 78% 
believe in God or some, some higher supreme being, 78%. 47% of unchurched younger Canadians believe in the God of the Bible. 51% said they would be willing to study the Bible together if a friend asked them to. So there's opportunities all around us. Younger, unchurched Canadians. I was thinking about that. That's much like the demographic right here in Milton. The larger demographic here in this community is is young families. And all that we need to do is to recognize these opportunities and then do what we can to tell our story. Colossians 4 and verse 5, Paul says to to the church, you know, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Now, most of you are thinking, okay, but it's not as easy as it sounds. I don't even know where to begin when it comes to, you know, identifying opportunities to tell the story of Jesus. I get nervous. I I don't know what to say. I don't know how to even broach the conversation. Well, that's okay because you don't have to do it alone. You don't have to do it alone. Now, I'm going to show you a little bit of a video clip to sort of illustrate this fact that you don't have to do it alone. Let's watch uh, the screen together. So if you died today, do you know where you'd go? Cemetery? After that. I mean the afterlife. Guess not. Well, the Bible says that all men have fallen shorts, but you can still be saved if you burn up your wicked sleighs. Turn from your wicked ways, you idiot. You're an idiot. You just called him an idiot. You're not an idiot. Jesus loves you. But if you fuss with your spouse and believe in Pop-Tarts... Believe in your heart. Look, tell him all his sins will be forgiven. Your sins will be forgiven. I think a bird just pooped in my coffee. God could forgive me of my sins? Can you believe that? No way. Must have been a a pelican. Uh, I thought no sin was so bad that he can't forgive. It's filled up my mug. That's a big load of poo. Now you can share the gospel without the inconvenient hassle of actually learning it yourself. Hello, dope. So that is not what I mean when I say you don't have to do it alone, okay? Don't use a football helmet, you know, earpiece, and that's, yeah, kind of funny, but that's not what I'm talking about. You don't have to do it alone. You need to watch for the opportunities. You need to, you need to understand, you know, culture like we've talked about. But then we need to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, we are not sort of in this, in this activity by ourselves. Jesus said to the disciples that I'm going to send you another comforter. I'm going to send you a helper. I'm going to send you somebody that's going to come alongside you and, and is going to help you to, to do what I've asked you to do. So no gimmicks right? Paul knew that, that the power of the Holy Spirit was with him, and he just launched right in. It says in verse 23, this is what I am going to proclaim to you. He did not even hesitate. And then Paul began to explain who God was, this God that they didn't know. He told them that the God who made the earth and everything in it does not live in you know, temples made by human hands. He explained that, that God created man and that he placed him on the earth so that man would seek God and that man would reach out for him. 
Though he is not far from any of us, Paul said. And then he said that God appointed one man, Jesus Christ, who, who one day would, would judge the world with justice. And that he proved this by raising him from the dead. And Paul jumped on his opportunity. He used a conversation about something that they knew that was right in front of them to explain to them about God. He said, this unknown God that you have this altar here too, he's not unknown at all. He's close to you. He's near. And he, and he wants to be a part of your life. He wants for you to, to be a part of his family. And where do you think that the idea, you know, came from, from, from you know, that, that Paul decided to talk about this? Did Paul, you know, come up with it all on his own? It's possible. He was a really smart guy. But, but he was also filled with the Holy Spirit and dependent on, on the Holy Spirit for his leading and his guiding as, as Paul taught from day to day in the synagogues, the marketplace, and now at the Oropagus. No doubt, no doubt he had heard about what Jesus had told the disciples in Luke chapter 12, verses 11 and 12, where Jesus said to them, when you're brought before synagogues, before rulers, and before authorities, interesting, when you're brought before those groups of people, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. When I read this verse, you know, again this week, I thought it's, it's amazing to me that synagogues, uh, authorities, and rulers are mentioned because this is who Paul was dealing with here in Acts 17. He had been to the synagogues and reasoned with the Jews. He had been in the marketplace, and now he was brought before the authorities of the land to defend his teaching. And so Paul was ready. He was ready for that opportunity and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he was able to preach the gospel in all of these different situations. Holy Spirit not only empowered him and gave him words to say, but he also gave Paul the boldness to speak with confidence and authority about Jesus and the difference that he could make in people's lives. It was Paul who said in Romans 1 and 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And so we have good news for people. We have great news for people. That's what the gospel is. It's the good news that, that God has brought salvation to mankind through his son, Jesus Christ. And there is power in that message alone. It is the power of God that brings salvation, Paul said, to everyone who believes. And we want to we help people find their way back to God. In order to do that, we've got to tell them about Jesus. But we need to do it relying on the power of the Holy Spirit who helps us to know the right words to say. And it is the Holy Spirit then who draws people to Jesus. Jesus said, nobody comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. And I believe that the Spirit draws them oftentimes through, through you and through me as, as he is at work in our lives and as we rely on his power to help us to tell the story of Jesus. We have a part to play. And the Holy Spirit plays a huge role as well. Peter reminded us of our part in 1 Peter 3.15. This one's not on the screen, but I think it's in your notes, where it says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Always be prepared. We've been trying over the last number of weeks to prepare ourselves to know some of the answers to the questions that, that people outside the church are asking so that, so that we have something to say. 
We want to be prepared. Paul said something very similar to the church at Colossae in in Colossians 4 and verse 6 when he said, let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. We have a part to play, but we must never forget that the the role of the Holy Spirit uh, plays in all of this. It's the Holy Spirit who empowers. It's the Holy Spirit who enables us to be witnesses in our world. This was the promise that Jesus made to his disciples in Acts 1 and 8. He said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The disciples waited in Jerusalem like they were told, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And this, you know, this ragtag group of fishermen and zealots and, and you know, tax collectors and others, they became this dynamic force, preaching the gospel, turning that part of the world upside down with the message of Jesus. They were, they were different than before. They were bolder than before. They knew what to say more than they had before. And the Holy Spirit not only worked through them, but came alongside them as a helper, drawing men and women to Jesus through their preaching and their ministry to others who needed to hear. So we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, not just on our own strength, not just on the things that we know, although we need to know some things, right? We need to be prepared to give an answer, but we rely on the Spirit's power who is at work in us. Maybe you've experienced this before. I certainly have. When you didn't know what to say, and you were worried about how you would respond. And yet in a moment, it felt like, it felt like, you know, you were, it was you that was talking, but, but you know, those words, you didn't know where they came from. I don't know if you've ever had that experience before, but I felt that before. It's, it's the spirit of God who works through us as we, as we, you know, interact with people and share with people about who God is. Now, not everyone will listen always. Not everyone will come to church with you. Not everyone will will want to come to your growth group. And not everyone will say yes to Jesus. But if we are faithful to identify the opportunities and to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit as we tell the story of Jesus, here's the truth. Some will listen. Some will hear. Some will understand. Some will come. And some will say yes to Jesus. When Paul finished his talk at the Areopagus, this is what we read in verses 32 and 34. It says that when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. They weren't interested at all. They, they made fun. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. And at that, Paul left the council, it says, and some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. They believed in Jesus. They became followers of Jesus as well. So remember the statistics. There is an openness. There is more of an openness to the gospel story in Canada than you may have been led to believe. And there are people who are just waiting for someone to invite them, someone to ask them, someone to suggest that they consider the Jesus story and what it could mean for them. And as freaked out as you might be by all of that, you need to remember one very important thing. The Holy Spirit is with you. The Holy Spirit is in you and will empower you and give you words to say and the boldness to speak. And it's really not that hard. All you have to do is think about how you can bless someone else who needs to know Jesus. And I want to just wrap up with this. 
It's an acronym that we shared with you about a year ago. And, and I want to just remind you of it before we finish today. It's based on Luke chapter 10, verses 5 to 9. But this word, bless, B-L-E-S-S, will help you to remember five simple steps for, for helping people find their way back to God. So write them down. The first one is begin with prayer. Begin with prayer. Ask the Holy Spirit to, to work in the lives of the people that you are, that you are reaching out to to give you opportunity to befriend them, to, to give you words to say, pray for your neighbors on either side. You know, I'm, I'm praying for, for Jose and his wife and their little girl on, on the one side of us and for, for Simon and Fiona and their brand new baby on the other side. We're just praying. We don't know yet, you know, what kind of opportunities that we might have, but we're, we're praying. We're asking the Holy Spirit to give us some kind of opportunity to befriend them. And then the second is, is listen. First begin with prayer, then listen to understand. This one's hard, okay? Don't, don't sort of the first time you meet them, spew your gospel, you know, presentation or give them Romans Road or, you know, ask them, you know, where they're going to go when they die because they might answer the cemetery. I don't know. No, just, just listen to them. Listen to understand where they're coming from. Hear, hear their story. Find out everything you can about them and, and, and understand who they are. Whether, you know, whether they are like you or not, just listen so that you're understanding what it is that they're about. Hear what they have to say. Ask what they believe. Don't push your, your viewpoint or your agenda on them. And please don't argue with them, okay? I have been in ministry for 30 years now, and I can tell you that in my experience, no one has ever come to saving faith in Jesus Christ because they lost an argument. Nobody that I know, okay? So don't argue with them. Just hear what they have to say. And then the third thing is, is the letter E, eat together. You say, well, what, what's that going to do? You're going to get to know them a lot better when you share together over, over coffee and a muffin or when you invite them into your home for a meal. I don't know, uh, you know how you feel about hospitality and all those kind of things. It's, it's some people's gift, absolutely. But the rest of us, we have to stretch ourselves. But, but we need to eat together with people who don't know Jesus. We need to spend time with them that way because when you break bread together over a meal, there's something that happens that doesn't happen in a normal conversation. I can't explain it to you but I know, that it's, I know that it's true. I know that it's real. And so we need to eat together, spend time with them over coffee or a meal, get to know them, let them get to know you. And then the first S is serve intentionally. Serve intentionally. Once you have discovered what some of their you know, needs are in their life, do whatever you can to, to help them whether it's, you know, helping them find a contractor that they need to do some work in their house who's not going to rip them off or, or you know, connecting them with, with someone that, something, some service, whatever they're looking for, just serve them. Do whatever you can. When, when they have a hard time, you know, take over a meal. If, if they lose a loved one, take a casserole or, or give them a, a gift card. Just serve them with no agenda other than the fact that they're your friends and you love them. And the last one is the last one is share your story. Share your story. You see, once you get to know them, once you begin to 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 fellowship with them, once you begin to serve them, they're gonna understand that you love them. And you're gonna have the opportunity to share your own story. 
and to be able to tell them that the Jesus part of your story is, is what makes all of the difference in your life. It's not about some kind of recruiting or a notch in your spiritual Jesus belt, okay? We're not out just trying to sort of knock people off one by one. That's not what we're about as a community of faith. At least it shouldn't be. It's really about truly caring for people. It's about loving your neighbor, being in relationship with people so that we can show them the difference that Christ has made in our lives and let Christ's love flow through us to them. Does that sound good? Does that sound easy enough? I think it's easy enough. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we need you to help us. We thank you that uh, we have this amazing, amazing gift in our lives of your grace. We thank you, God, that, that we know what it means to be forgiven of our sins. We know what it means, God, to, to feel that, that uh, you are a part of our lives and that you're, you're resident in us, that your spirit is at work in us. And God, we know how we feel. We know the gratitude that we feel because of all that you've done for us. But God, we don't want to be just about, we don't want to be just about trying to, you know, be recruiters. We, we don't want to be that cold and calculated. We want to just love people the way that you called us to love them. God, to reach out to them. Lord, to, to love our neighbors as ourselves, to love you with all our heart, soul and mind and strength, and then to love the people around us. And God, we know that we can do that by praying for them, by listening to them, to really hear what it is they have to say. And, and God, by serving them and, and fellowshipping together so that, Lord, at some point we might have the, the wonderful opportunity of being able to share our own personal story with them and to be able to tell them what a difference that you have made in our lives today. So God, we pray. We ask for your grace. We ask that you would help us, that you would strengthen us, that you would, God, empower us by your Holy Spirit, Lord, just to love people into the kingdom of God. Lord, we we thank you. We thank you that your Spirit brings back to our minds so many of these things that we've talked about together. And Lord, we just want to be able to be ready to identify the opportunities, the people, God, that, that you love and are reaching out to through us so that, God, we might be able to to share your love with them. And so, Father, we ask you, help us. Lord, even if maybe there's there's someone here today who's who's with a friend, who's talking to them about you, that, God, that we we would just all understand together how much you love us, how much you want us to be reconciled to you, to be back as a part of your family, to have that, that relationship with you repaired so that, God, we can, we can truly be your kids. And so we give this all to you today. We pray, God, that you would strengthen and help us, that, Lord, you would empower us as we have just learned together. Have your hand upon each and every one, we pray. In the power of your Spirit, we ask these things. And in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.